We're turning to Luke chapter 2. And the reason we pass out uh, paper Bibles is uh, Jesus was a person of the scriptures and his followers after him follow in this core practice of reading the scriptures. So hopefully you have a Bible by now. If one of these is being brought to you and you don't have a Bible at home, take this as our gift and take it home and read it. We believe it will change your life. And then would you stand with me now with the, open there to Luke chapter 2. Now, Advent ends in celebration, but begins in waiting. So we're going to stand still in unbroken silence for a full minute, identifying with the plight of the prophets, remembering the redemption that we still await, the redemption our world still awaits. And we remember the God who promises to one day bring heaven to earth completely. Then the silence will be broken by the reading of scripture. Word breaking silence among us, just as the living word broke the long silence with the birth of Jesus. But now we wait. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Please stay standing for one more moment. Some of you knew me, you knew it was coming. So may we be good hearers of the word and better doers. May we love Jesus deeply. May we trust what Jesus says. And may we follow Jesus well. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm going to do something I'm not supposed to do. Thanks. It's happening either way, but now I have permission, you know. The, the church has spoken. Um, so normally what I'm supposed to do right now is uh, open, introduce the topic of this sermon in a way that's like winsome, maybe funny, maybe tell like a story that's interesting, but also wins you over, builds emotional and relational trust. Um, 
and then somehow find a nice, like, thoughtful way to, like, weave it in and kind of hit it with a bang, and then, like, we're into the, like, sermon. Have you ever had that experience? You know, like, like telling a story about being chased by dogs or something. Um, <laughs> have you ever had that experience before? Yeah, I'm going to skip all that and uh, save us, like, four minutes of this sermon. Cool? Life is hard. And eventually, you'll find yourself stuck. You will come to a place in your life where you will get stuck in the gap. What's the gap? Glad you asked. The gap, it's the space between who you are and who you want to be, between where you are and where you want to be, between how things are and how they should be. The gap is where unmet desires and time collide, and the word for life in the gap is waiting. Third sermon in a row on waiting. See, the Greek word is uh, prosdekomai. Can you try saying that like you're not afraid? Ready? One, two, three. That felt like half afraid. One more time. See, it means to eagerly wait, to accept, to receive, or welcome. Waiting is the gap that we'll all end up in at some point. Quick show of hands. Who has ever had to wait? Another show of hands. Who has a hard time with waiting? Who has a hard time with lying? Um, (laughs) See, now there's a word for how many of us wait. It's impatience. See, impatience, it's the lack of inner fortitude to wait well. It means I don't have what I need inside of me to get through the waiting. There's something going on inside me. Something's out of whack. And the truth is I don't wait well. I'm impatient because I've been formed to not wait well. See, so many normal parts of our society, they suddenly form us to trust a story that says life exists for us and things should happen for us quickly. Just think about fully stocked grocery stores. That's like a really new invention to the human story. Or we could talk about fast food, overnight success, breaking news, same-day highlights, one-click shopping, next-day shipping, mass-producing, binge-watching, emailing, text messaging, Google searching, red-eye flying, and the list goes on and on and on. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm, I really am thankful that I can like, go to one store to get most of the things that I need. I'm really, really thankful that I don't have to take like, a horse and buggy to visit people that I love. You know, Like Disneyland by horse and buggy, not the move. All that stuff, it's fine, it's neutral, but the thing is, the way that we live, it forms us. You see, my mom is from Ethiopia, and I've been waiting to say this for a while. I've noticed there's like more and more Abishas in our church, like, shout out to my Abisha people. Anyway, my mom, thank you. Yes, there we go, like, thank you. My mom, she's from Ethiopia, my, my wife is from Nigeria. I spent time in Ugandan villages in the Indian slums where people have to wait basic human needs, like food, or water, or medicine. Yet it's wild to me that societies with a lower quality of life seem to handle waiting better than we do. Maybe our lifestyles or our city and our world, they're not neutral. Maybe everything we do and everywhere we are and even our time in history is shaping who we become. See, too many times I've found myself at my limits or suddenly on edge, in a hurry, feeling behind, repeatedly disappointed and not marked by the peace, joy, contentment, hope, or interior freedom of Jesus. And the results, they're, tell- they're telling, they're subtle, I'm not able 
to wait well. I'm so uncomfortable in the gap because I'm unable to wait well. See, and it's in this waiting and in this longing for comfort that we meet a man named Simeon. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. See, Simeon, like when I read Luke, he seems kind of like an ordinary God-fearing person, right? Like he's called righteous and devout, which we could probably easily translate as like godly or faithful. He, he's, he's God-fearing. He's obedient. He's observant. But he's not radical, right? Like think about someone like Anna, who's also in Luke chapter 2. She's an elderly widow who's been waiting, and she's deeply pious. She's praying, worshiping, and fasting daily, as we all do. You know, Anna, she feels kind of like the model-esque sort of person. She's the person who you're like, oh, I want to be like, yes, fasting, worship, like the thing I want to reach for when I hear her story. She's in the waiting, yet she's so pious. Or there's Joseph of Arimathea. He's also in the waiting in Luke chapter 23. He's waiting for the kingdom of God to show up. He has power, influence, and wealth. And with that, he chooses San, ooh, to, be, to defy the Sanhedrin's plot to kill Jesus. To kill Jesus, He decides to get Jesus' body from Pilate, and then he gives Jesus an honorable burial at his own expense. See, he is sacrificial. He's generous. He's faithful. He's courageous. See, Joseph of Arimathea, who's waiting, or Anna, who's waiting, they seem kind of spectacular or remarkable. Comparatively, Simeon, he seems to be just like a normal godly guy who's been waiting for a long time for God's comfort to show up. See, I relate to Simeon. Verse 25 says, Simeon, he's in the waiting, that word prostekamai, and he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. See, he's waiting for what most of us are all waiting for in some shape or form, consolation. Or maybe a more common word we'd use in our English is encouragement or comfort. Somebody say comfort. Comfort. Somebody say it like you're not afraid. Comfort. Comfort. See, Simeon is waiting to finally be comforted. Do you know what that's like? Like to wait for the good news, to wait for encouragement, to wait for something to bring you comfort, to long for something to shift, to need some encouraging news, to need comfort to finally arrive. It's the couple who's discouraged by their marital patterns or the office worker who's just worn out from all these intense, awkward dynamics. It's the father torn up about his self-destructive child or the child undone by the family dynamics that she's still unpacking in therapy. It's that sibling who's saddened by his in-law's financial situation or the business owner who's stressed because the problem she can't solve. See, if you're waiting for relief or comfort, you probably relate to Simeon. But Simeon, he's not just waiting for his own consolation. He's also waiting for the consolation of his whole people. The consolation of Israel is the longing for God to do what he promised, to set the whole world right by raising up a rescuer through a chosen people and a chosen family, for God to finally end war and violence, poverty, famine, injustice, all of those things in the nations that we experience every day, but also to end the hatred and the superiority, the greed, the envy, the scarcity, and so many of the other forms of brokenness that fuel the national brokenness that we experience too. See, some of you know what it's like to wait for comfort for yourself, but I know those of you who also know what it's like to cry when you see the state of our city or the state of our world or the state of communities, to be so discouraged by the brokenness around us. 
It's what Kendrick Lamar talked about in All Right, or Marvin Gaye in What's Going On, or the 1975 in I Love It If We Made It. See, you get what it's like to pray the prayer that Simeon's people have prayed for generations. How long, O oh Lord? Like, how long are we going to wait? How long must we wait? See, Simeon, he's an ordinary guy who's waited his whole life for God's comfort for himself and others, and yet... He doesn't seem to be as worn out from the waiting as I might be. So imagine him. He's just going on another walk in Jerusalem, another walk in a city, and another day of waiting. And yet Simeon sees what everyone else misses, God's comfort. See, it's available in the crowded streets, yet it's wrapped up in plain sight, and it's still in its infancy. See, God's rescue, it showed up in a way that's human, surprising, and unfortunately for you and I, missable. How many people were in those temple courts that day? Could you imagine? Like, how many people were in the right place, at the right time, praying the right prayers, but still missed the way God was coming to them in that moment? And yes, like, sure, Anna got it. Like, right after Simeon, Anna saw it. But is anyone surprised by that? Is that too honest? Like, Anna, the elderly widow who spends every day praying, fasting, and worshiping, like, of course she's the person who also saw the, the, the baby Christ. Of course she's the one who saw God comfort, coming in ways that no one else noticed. I mean, she's doing all the practices of Jesus that, like, attune your appetites to notice. But normal Simeon? Like just the normal God-fearing person, how does he know the missable ways that God's comfort was coming? How did he do waiting so well? And the truth is, I'm really asking, because how can I? Right? Like, because truthfully, I don't know that I can afford to miss God's comfort in my life. Verse 26 says, It had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So it seems like Simeon waited well because he had a word from God. And right there, normally that would just preach. Like we could end the sermon there. Because all you need is a word from God. Like have you ever had that experience before? Where it feels like God just whispered something in the middle of chaos and with just a word, like Jesus over the water saying, peace be still. And it was with just one word that you knew that everything was going to be okay. There's nothing like a word from God to hold you through. And the thing is, people all over Luke 1 and 2, they're getting words from God, right? Like angels, they're popping off left and right. They're dropping words. They're singing songs. They're showing up in dreams. And they're announcing good news and comfort. So of course, Simeon handled waiting well when he had gotten a word from God. Of course, he can wait patiently when God gave him a word. So I just need a word from God, right? Like if God tells me how it'll work out or exactly what to do, then I'm certain I'll be able to wait well. But sometimes y'all are like, I don't have that sort of word from God. And that makes Simeon's story more complex. Because on one hand, the brother's so relatable a normal person waiting on God to show up and bring comfort. But then on the other hand, he just he feels like mad distant because he seems to get the thing that I think I need for the waiting, certainty. See, I don't wait well because I've been formed to be impatient, but I also don't wait well because I'm so uncomfortable in the uncertainty. I remember attending this graduation when I lived in Seattle a few years back. And uh, graduations, those things are so long. 
Like talk about waiting, you're just like, oh my, all the names? Okay, I mean, yes, but like, <laughs> pro tip, I was in this graduation once and I was um, getting a, a, a degree. <laughs> God, I was getting a degree. Looks like I, feels like I barely earned it with after that comment, but um, I learned that at those long graduations, what you can do is you can sneak snacks into the little like holes in the like big regalia. It'll get you through, y'all. I remember being in this uh, ceremony, this commencement, and like the commencement speaker had, he was brilliant and thoughtful, this elderly gentleman, and he had like the whole room in the palm of his hand, similar to as I do right now. And... Um, <laughs> Now we had everybody in the palm of his hand, and he has all these people who have spent thousands and thousands of dollars to like prepare to do the thing that they would desire, the thing that they've waited so long to do. And in that moment, man says these words that were like both inspiring and kind of off-putting. He says, if you think you know where you'll be two years from now, you're kidding yourself. And while, yeah, it kind of had that same response, right? You're like, aren't you supposed to say like, go change the world? You can do it. No, if you think you know where you'll be two years from now, you're kidding yourself. And while that's kind of funny or maybe awkward, it's also sobering when you're out because I'm actually not certain of what's at the end of my waiting. And neither are you. See, so much of our lives, they keep us from that intersection of our desires, time, and uncertainty. But when we end up in the gap and all we want to do is hear the lullaby of certainty again, Certain about how long things will take, what to do, where to go, or what it will cost. Certain I made the right choice, or the waiting won't be a waste. If I can just have some certainty, then I'll have what I need to wait well. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I'm saying? See, I'm almost 32. I'm a black man from Seattle. My dad is from Oakland, California. My mom's an immigrant from a village in Ethiopia. In undergrad, I double majored in pastoral ministry biblical studies. Let's just bash this right now. Hmm? Let's just make this easy on everybody. In undergrad, I got a master's in pastoral ministries and biblical studies. And then I got a master's in Bible and theology. I have two younger brothers. Uh, one just finished his PhD in education at UC Berkeley. The other, he's, an MD, he's in an MD program at Columbia. Me and my brothers, we all earned full tuition scholarships for our education. And we've each truthfully like beaten so many statistics and odds for people who look like us. But do you know what the problem with all that is? See, the problem is that I still end up in the gap. I still end up in the waiting. And my life tempts me, it tempts me to create my own certainty. But the thing is, there's some hardships I can't hustle through. And there's some seasons I cannot get out of. And if I'm real honest, Like, not even my faith-filled prayers will always provide the certainty that things will always work out the way that I want them to. See, the more time that I wait in it, the more that Simeon's story actually means something to me. It matters to me because this has been one of the hardest years of my life. It has been marked by more tears than I've ever cried. And I have been waiting for a sense of comfort I remember that afternoon, um, I couldn't wait to tell Yinka that we finally got good news. Things were finally gonna work out, and it was date night, which just worked out perfectly. So uh, we were gonna go rock climbing 
So we meet up, I drive over to her. I'm like so excited that I'm like, hey girl, get in the car, like I have to tell you something. So like she walks over to me, I'm looking crazy, but I'm like, babe, we've got good news and all this sort of stuff. We sit in the car and uh, it felt like time stood still in all the best ways. Because we finally got the news, we finally got the relief, we finally got the comfort that we had been waiting for until I saw that text. And that long, that long-awaited relief, it was eclipsed by news that made all the last months feel like a walk in the park. And I drove by myself, silent and exhausted, just exhausted from the waiting, exhausted from the feeling of like things were finally looking better and now the rug got pulled out from under me. Thinking to myself, Jesus, it's just too much. I remember walking into the house and the feeling of my face on my wife's jacket as snot and tears poured out while I shook and I said the two words that summed it all up. I'm scared. Because there's a thousand different ways things can go and a thousand different decisions that can be made and a thousand little threats out there And a thousand different things that remind me that I'm not in control. Will it work out? Will it go back to how it was before? Will it be worse? Will I be okay? Will everything change? See, if the discomfort of my impatience does not wear me out, the fear of uncertainty or just the exhaustion from the journey might. And the combination of unmet desire, time, impatience, and uncertainty, it's uncomfortable and it's exhausting. See, Simeon, he matters to me because I need to know how to wait well. Do you? How do I not miss when God advents in easily missable ways? Well, Luke 2.25, it tells us that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. We learned of one Greek word earlier already. It's prestekamai. Do you remember that? It means to wait, to receive, or to welcome But this verse, it has one more Greek word that I think we need to learn. It's the word that our English Bibles translate to encouragement, exhortation, comfort, or consolation. See, verse 25 says that Simeon was waiting for the paraclesis of Israel. Now, paraclesis, if it sounds familiar, then you might just be a Bible nerd. See, because paracletus is what Jesus often calls the Holy Spirit. Three times in three verses, Luke shows what empowered Simeon in the waiting. See, Luke 2, it's starting in verse 25. It says that Simeon was waiting for the paraclesis, the comfort of Israel, and then the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. See, Simeon waited for God's comfort, his paraclesis, by partnering with the comforter. No wonder Simeon could spot God's comfort and rescue even in its smallest infancy. See, he was keeping in step with the comforter himself. Now that word play right there that might make a nerdy bunch of the charismatics want to shout and run across the room. See, here's my point, and here's what I'm relearning. If we're going to wait well, we need the Holy Spirit. 
Like we need him fresh. We need him again. We need him now in the present moment. We need the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit sounds strange to you or unfamiliar or has baggage, like that's all right. But if it's true that you are not by chance, but you're actually designed by the creator God to have a life marked by things like hope, peace, or joy, then the Holy Spirit is actually what I think you long for most. See, the Holy Spirit, in the words of Gordon Fee, is God's empowering presence. He's a person. He's invisible but personal. He is the spirit of Jesus. He's presence, which means he's near and available, closer than our very breath, and he has power. He empowers us to live well in the waiting. You see, John, in, uh, in John chapters 14 through 16, Jesus, he talks to his disciples who need comfort a lot like we, to, we do in the middle of difficulty of a life that's in the already and the not yet. And listen to what he says. Jesus says that I will ask the Father and he will give you the paracletos to help you and be with you forever. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. He says, the paracletus, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives, so do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. He says, when the paracletus comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you must also testify or witness, for you have been with me from the beginning. He says, truly I tell you, it is actually good that I'm going away, because unless I go away, the paracletus will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And then he says, I have told you these things. At the end of John 16, he says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. And everyone's life verse, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. See, Jesus is convinced of something that I think we easily forget, that his disciples need the paracletus, the Holy Spirit, to live well in the waiting. So what embodied Simeon, and hear me right now, what emboldened and embodied Simeon in his waiting, it wasn't his piety, it wasn't his fervor, it wasn't just a word from God, it was his choice to become a person of the Spirit. St. Augustine says it this way, you, when you hear the word comforter, think of something soft, but the comforter comes to make a man brave. Those who have been comforted by him are not softened, but strengthened. See, we need the comforter And he isn't just for the mature or the learned or the extroverted followers of Jesus. No, the Holy Spirit is for every one of God's people. And that's a major theme Luke is trying to bring up all throughout both of his writings. See, the Spirit is given to those who wait, like a barren woman giving birth or a baby getting ready for his calling or a priest naming his newborn son or a young woman obeying what God asks of her, even though it's difficult, or an ordinary man named Simeon. See, Simeon, he is the first, he's the, actually, he's the fifth person in Luke's writings to receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus, surprisingly, is actually the sixth. Seven is the number of completion. You would think Jesus, the Messiah, he'd be number seven, but actually, it's Jesus' witnesses, the church, you and I, in Acts chapter two, who are the seventh, the number of completion to receive the Spirit. Do you get what Luke is trying to say? We need the Holy Spirit. And y'all, this isn't just like theology. It's not like a sermon for me. I remember when I was in junior high and my parents uh, got a divorce. And combine that with uh, being an oldest child, 
and a national recession and puberty. Enjoy. <laughs> and that can go away. <laughs> get that whole hot mess of things and you get why life felt really uncertain. I remember sitting in my bedroom one night and uh, in my room I had this piano and uh, next to it I had this little couch and then my bed, there was like six inches between the couch and my bed and I remember sitting on it one night and um, I can remember the thought that was in my head still to this day. I remember thinking, this is not what I expected. Ever thought that way? Like, this is not what I expected. This is not how I expected things to go. This is not the way things should look. I didn't know it then, but it was the feeling of being in the gap. And for some reason, um, I just did the thing that I knew to do. I, I just regiven my life to Jesus at that time. And so I was just like, oh, I need to go to my Bible. So I did what any junior high would do. I opened up my Bible that's trying to follow Jesus. I opened my Bible and did like Bible roulette where you just like, mm, we'll see. <laughs> and did Bible roulette because somewhere in this junior high body, I knew I needed a word from God. So I just opened up the scripture looking for a word from God. And truth be told, I got nothing. And so I remember sitting there still and being, okay, Jesus, then would you just say something? Like, God, I just need you to speak to me right now. I need comfort. I need you to speak. And it was silent. Some of you know what that's like. And I remember sitting there in the silence, wanting a word from God, feeling like I got nothing, having the emotional experience of a, being a junior hire, living in the gap. And all of a sudden, I don't even know how else to explain it, but I could just like feel someone walked into the room. It was like a presence, a person showed up in my bedroom. And I can't shake it to this day. But like God met me. The Holy Spirit just showed up. Didn't have words for it. I didn't say anything. I just knew that he was there. See, oh, this isn't theology to me. This isn't just like the thing I'm supposed to say as a pastor. This is something that a junior high boy experienced. It helped me learn to wait. And I'm having to relearn it all over again. And it was in that season of being a junior high boy that that one of the titles for Jesus really became so meaningful to me. Do you know what it is? Emmanuel. He's the God who is with us. See, my junior high self went to the little spiritual disciplines that I knew. Being still, talking honestly with God, reading the Bible, and singing songs on my piano, and it eventually led to a sense of his withness. So maybe that makes sense of why Anna who lived into the daily practices of prayer, fasting, and worship would notice Jesus even in his infancy too. So what does keeping in step with the Spirit in this season of your life look like for you? And I don't mean that as like a rhetorical preaching device. I actually mean the question. Like, think about it. If it helps you, close your eyes and think about it. Like, what does keeping in, the keeping in step with the Spirit in this particular season of your life actually look like for you? Even right now, Holy Spirit, would you speak? Would you show us, would you remind us as we wait for you? 
Is there a rhythm that you need to lean into in the middle of the uncertainty? Is there a practice of Jesus that you've dropped that will actually help you walk through the waiting? Is there an experience or a fear that's keeping your hands closed to the work of the Spirit in your life? There's no shame in that. Just be honest with yourself. You can open your eyes. See, when we live in step with the Spirit, we can become people who handle time and who handle desire differently. We become people who receive comfort even amidst uncertainty and whose lives bear the fruit of patience. See, ordering his life to keep in step with the Spirit, that's the secret to how ordinary Simeon waited and we must do the same. He listened to the Spirit. He went into the temple at just the right time. He noticed the baby Messiah. And then, verse 28, Simon took Dekomai him into his arms. See, it's another play on words in the Greek. And we've actually seen this word already. It was the first word I told you about, prostekomai. It means to wait, anticipate, or welcome. It's actually the word in um, Luke chapter 15 where the Pharisees and the uh, teachers of the law, where they said, where they're frustrated with Jesus, they said it's because he he prostechomized, he waits for or welcomes or is anticipating sinners and eats for them, eats with them. That's the posture of Jesus to prostechomize, to wait, to anticipate, to welcome. See, Simeon, he was waiting, prostechomai, for God's rescue. And when he noticed it, even in his smallest form, listen what he does. Scripture says that he decomied it. He received it. He accepted it. He welcomed it. He took the comfort that he'd been longing for in its arms, even when it looked different than what he expected. So Simeon, what he does is he opened up his hands and he reached out and he takes the way that God actually shows up. See, the waiting, it did not deform him into a person who was closed off, which in a city like ours and with wounds like the ones we have, that's easy to do. See, the waiting, it didn't close him off. Somehow he allowed the waiting to form him into the sort of person who could receive the Christ child in his open arms. Verse 28 says that Simeon took him into his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. To Simeon, what he did is he actively waited for God's comfort. He followed the Spirit. He recognized and received Jesus when others missed him. See, that's what Simeon did. But notice how he saw the world by what he said. See, he calls Yahweh his Lord, or more helpfully translated here, Master. He calls Yahweh his Master, and he called himself Yahweh's servant. Are you starting to see how Simeon saw the world? See, Simeon viewed his life in a way that's almost opposite to how our city will shape our sight. See, without being watchful, I'll see my desires as ultimate, myself as the center of the story, God as powerful but yet unreliable, and time as a tool for me to conquer to meet my desires. But I think Simeon saw the world more accurately. He knew that his story and his waiting wasn't just about him. He knew what Paul would later say, all creation groans and waits. Because there's a beast called sin still devouring, and there's a venomous snake that's loose in the garden of our world. But there, in the words of Isaiah, there is comfort. Comfort. Your weeping will turn to joy because there's comfort and good news for all people because Yahweh our God has not forgotten See, he's promised that he's working through a nation, then a family, then a seed of the woman. 
Her child will be filled with the spirit or anointed to bring rescue from sin and sickness and evil and even death. And this Messiah child will crush the snake's head. See, Simeon didn't forget the story that he's a part of. He saw himself as a watchful servant and steward and time as a gift that actually reveals Yahweh as the generous promise-keeping master who cares about the world and will come to set it right. So how do you see the story? How do you see your own story? Because y'all, right now, we're still in the grand waiting. We're still in the big gap. But there is coming a day. And we will experience in full what Simeon waited for but only got to glimpse. We'll experience comfort. For there is a new Lord of the nations, and his name is Yeshua, it's Jesus. He has come, and when he comes again, when he comes again, he will be hard to miss this time. Because he will bring what he started to completion. The scripture says that he will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will pass away. So to those of us who are well acquainted with the waiting, find comfort in King Jesus' words. Look, I am coming soon. See, that's the true human story. It's the story that Simeon lived into and what if we just learned to wait like Simeon? Do you realize what happened to him? Verse 29 says, he died in peace. See, now Simeon died without seeing the fullness of what he'd waited for. And unfortunately, y'all, like, that's real life in this age. Not all of our desires will be met, and we cannot control time. Not every good prayer that we pray is going to be answered in the way that we want it to. Yet Simeon, he was able to hold the complexity of waiting on God for what he desired while staying open to whatever God actually gave. See, he found what the church mother, St. Macrina the Younger, said. Waiting is not a slight thing. It's a great thing, and above all, it's a labor of the soul. See, Simeon kept in step with the Spirit, and it empowered him to wait on God, to recognize and receive Jesus when others missed him, and see himself as a servant in the story of a generous, promise-keeping master. And I am telling you, from my own life right now, it is true, and it is worth it. It is worth the wait. See, I think you and I, we want to live like Simeon. We want to be people who wait well Simeon's name, it means hearken, or hear with acceptance, or hear and obey. Be good hearers of the word. Everything Simeon had, we actually have available to us. Because remember, it wasn't his piety, it wasn't his courage, it wasn't his fasting and praying. All those things are beautiful and good, but it was God's spirit living within him, and that's available to each of us. And it makes me wonder if this normal this normal human, this normal dude who was just looking for God's comfort and who was empowered by the same Spirit of God who empowers us. I wonder if that is who Jesus had in mind when he taught his disciples also living in the gap, also living in the waiting, how to live out their waiting. When Jesus said, be dressed 
ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. He will have them recline at his table and he will come and wait on them. So come, Lord Jesus. Would you help us in the waiting? Before I have you stand, I just have one thing that's coming to mind. You know, one of the things I've learned this week from a friend is, again, just how to pray. And I heard my friend pray a prayer that I think I understand differently now. There was one word that summed it all up. It's actually the only prayer that I've been able to pray the last couple days, really. It's simply this, to help. I think for some of us today, that's the prayer we just need to learn how to pray again.